Our Pro Screenings, episode 49. I'm your host, M, and with me are my regular co-host, Jackson. Hello, one away. And Destiny. Hello. We are one away from the fabled episode 50, where I get to say the thing that I say every episode 50. <laughs> That's true. And then it's the long crawl to get either Gotham City Limits or uh, uh, Blockbusters to 50. I guess Beach House is probably close, right? Beach House is close. Beach House is close. Beach House probably gets there first, but then Gotham gets there first because you do that every week. Yeah, I do that every week, yeah. Blockbusters will take years. We'll be, I'll be 50 before I hit episode 50. Yeah, Beach House, we're at 42, and we do that about once, sometimes twice a month, so that should be hit by, like, early next year. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So that'll probably just beat Gotham. Yeah. Uh, anyway, movies. Who's seen a fucking movie? Uh... Not me. Jackson. Jackson. Oh, it's almost like we have 12 other million podcasts to do. Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) I watched a movie. I also watched another podcast. I watched Star Trek First Contact. Yes, you did. You totally did. Which I was in the mood to revisit, and there's nowhere else really to talk about it. Um, I was just like, I'm going to put it on We Were in Voyager. There's Borg shit happening. I'm like, you know, it's been a while since I've rewatched First Contact. I don't like that movie, but let's put it on. Because that is a film from 1996, uh, despite the fact that I think it has a terrible script, and I don't particularly like where they've taken the like design of the world of Star Trek in that movie... It's it's colorful and the action's pretty solid and the the practical effects and the way that they, they use CG to augment them and it's not all CG is like fucking incredible. It just looks good. Jonathan Frake shot a good fucking movie, like in terms of like what it looks like on the screen. Absolutely, the script's dog shit. Absolutely, it ruins Picard. Um, <laughs> but uh, the the part where it's like a movie, I'm like, man, this is super watchable. I had like spent like last forty minutes, just turn the goddamn thing off. It's miserable, but the rest of it's pretty good. <laughs> yep. About the time uh, Patrick Stewart's shooting up guys in the holodeck, you can just turn it off. There's nothing left. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Um, you, you see Ethan Phillips, you're like, ah, it's Neelix, and then you shut the thing off, and you're it's fine. You know. <laughs> it oh, is, is he in it? Yes, he is. When they go into the Dixon Hill holodeck thing, he is uh, just as himself, like the like the major D of this like club that they go into. Oh, that's fun. Um, he, he encounters some Borg. Let's uh, let's see if I can find an image for Destiny, um, and then you'll be like, "Oh yeah, of course, that's him." Uh, bu- 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 copy image. Um, but that's it. I just revisited that because I'd been meaning to watch it. It's on Hulu because I, for some reason, don't own the TNG movies on uh, Blu-ray. Um, and it was nice. It's like, man, yeah, they used to be able to make these movies and they look good. In fact, they used to make these movies like once every couple years. Remember when Star Trek movies existed? Damn, it was a good time. It's been a bigger gap between Beyond and Now than it had between Nemesis and 09. Oh, that's that's depressing. But yeah, no, once they started like basically from the motion picture on it was like there wasn't a five-year gap between fucking anything they just were making those movies every three years usually yep i mean star trek was a whole machine from like 79 to uh it's to still a machine but it's a much stupider machine i like a lot less what's well, too much mach- they're, they're, they're separate now like rick Burn yeah, was in charge of both of these things at one point that's true um which is not a, a good a good thing but <laughs> i think Berman over kurtzman every day uh that's fair Every single day. 
bring Rick Berman back. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag bring Rick Berman back. Don't do that. Just don't fucking do that. But anything to uh, save us. Uh, yes. <laughs> the idea of a hashtag campaign for Rick Vernon, one of the like worst people who's ever touched Star Trek. Yep. God. <laughs> Good time. That's it. That's all I watched. Destiny. Yes. What did you watch? Uh, I watched. Uh, I revisited <clears throat> Christopher Guest's 1996 film "Waiting for Guffman." Which is the first of his, like, mockumentaries that he's, you know, really famous for. With uh, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara and Parker Posey and Bob fucking Balaban. I was just telling M when we watched Grand Budapest, what's the connector of most great films? Bob fucking Balaban. Character actor extraordinaire. Um, <clears throat> Waiting for Guffman does not hold up. I don't know what it is. It's a mockumentary about this very, very small town in Missouri. Uh, I can't remember what the name of the town is. But anyway. Uh, Blaine. Blaine. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I was going to say Blair. <clears throat> and it's like not known for anything except for maybe stools and having uh, a UFO sighting they claim before Roswell. But it's their... 100th anniversary so they decide to put on this like grand musical that everybody in the town stars in and the whole like humor of the movie hinges on this character that christopher guest plays who's obviously a closeted gay man but like has all these like broadway aspirations and he like essentially makes them think that a broadway producer is coming to watch the show and of course he never shows up uh but, like, all the jokes are, like, he's gay and he doesn't know it. Or he's gay and he's in denial. So it just doesn't really, like, it's just not that great. But uh Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara are, like, my favorite people in uh those mockumentaries. And if you haven't seen A Mighty Wind, I would see A Mighty Wind uh, or Best in Show, uh, which very similar casts, but also Christopher Guest movies. Um, and then I guess I have to talk about Clock Watchers again. You don't have to. <laughs> I'll just say, if you have the Criterion channel, there's a little movie from 1997 directed by Jill Spretcher called Clock Watchers that stars Parker Posey, Lisa Kudrow, and Tony Collette. And they uh, play some angsty office ladies. And it is a good time. And that is what I'll say. And you know who else is in it? Bob Balaban. Bob Balaban! Fair enough. Alright. So that's that's all I have to say. Okay. Are you not uh, familiar with the Christopher Guest mockumentaries? I mean, I've seen a couple. Oh, okay. Do you like them? Um, uh, Let me <laughs> see which ones I've seen. And I, I, I feel like I've enjoyed what I've seen, but um, I'm not like... Let's see. Let me look at this real quick. I um, saw for your consideration as a teenager and thought it was okay. I always forget that he didn't actually direct Spinal Tap. <laughs> I've seen Best in Show. I really liked Best in Show. Um, I've seen Spinal Tap, I guess. Yeah, he didn't do that one. And that's it. That's the ones. Okay. 
Yeah, for yeah. some reason I assumed Spinal Tap was like totally him, but no, just writer and actor. So, um, yeah, no, I just have missed most of these. Yeah, oh no, I'm here. Sorry, I I was looking up something, but yeah, no, I I just really like them. I think they're quirky and weird, and most of the dialogue is improvised. And I don't know, I just think that's fun. Okay. Uh, our movie this week is the Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, a 2014 film uh, directed by Wes Anderson, written by Wes Anderson and Hugo Guinness. Uh, it stars Bob Balaban, Ralph Fiennes, <laughs> F. Murray Abraham, uh, Adrian Brody, Willem Dafoe, Jeff Goldblum, Harvey Cattell, Jude Law, Bill Murray, Edward Norton, Swarcia Ronan, Jason Schwartzman, Leia Sadu, Tilda Swinton, Tom Wilkinson, Owen Wilson, uh, Tony Revolori, uh, who, as far as I know, uh, was like, this was his big breakout thing. So, you know. Yeah, it was. And um... he's like in, uh, he's in Spider-Man No Way Home. Far from home. Yeah, he's flash he's, he's flashing okay. the Spider-Man movie. He's pretty good. Great. Okay, I only like, saw that first one, and I barely remember him. So he I mean, like the movie's kid, Matt, right? Yeah, he's like a rich tech guy now, which is like a good okay. direction for that character. Uh, terrible movie. He's fine in it. You know, you know, not given much to do in the Marvel world when you get sucked up into that. Fair enough. The world's only twenty-five-year-old high schooler. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> We can't get sidetracked into that bullshit. I <laughs> forgot. We did not realize you weren't joking when you said Bob Balaban for a second there. Bob Balaban's in this movie, yeah. I right. know, but, I know. But, but, yes, uh, you know, not top billing, but uh, <laughs> for Destiny. Anyway, Jackson, what the fuck's this movie about? And, uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel is a movie about... Um, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're a professional get it together <clears throat> so in the 30s there is a hotel called the grand budapest hotel uh this hotel is managed by the concierge monsieur gustav h uh played by ralph fines ralph fines takes under his wing the lobby boy zero mustafa who is a uh refugee who has come to this fictional uh like fictional eastern european but like more on the prussian end of it town uh in order to be a lobby boy and they take it under the wing and it's like 1932 and a, f a fake world war is brewing because it's it's never the real things um but that's the background situation uh, of the main plot this plot is being told um by zero uh, as an old man uh, to Jude Law, who was an author, uh, like writing the story down and selling it later uh, in the 60s, we're, we're, like looking back on this time. Uh, and he tells the story of Ralph Fiennes, uh, Mr. Gustavation's like crazy caper uh, as one of the women, the old women who come to the hotel. He has a lot of old women who come to the hotel and he sleeps with them because he's that's part of his duties as a truly romantic <laughs> um, uh, concierge of the Grand Prix Hotel uh, is, uh, you know, um, spending time sleeping with old old rich women and heiresses. And one of them uh, has, like, put him into their will and has given him uh, the priceless painting Boy with Apple. Uh, his, her... Like children are really mad about this and start conspiring against him immediately. He runs away. He takes the painting, um, 
and uh, gets into some hijinks, gets arrested, has to get broken out. Uh, Willem Dafoe is chasing them uh, because he works for Adrian Brody, who is one of the children, uh, trying to figure out uh, what is happening. Um, unbeknownst to everyone, uh, Matthew Almerich has slipped a little note inside the painting Boy with Apple uh, that is a second copy of the second will uh, that is only to be activated in the event of her death by murder. And it comes out uh, that the woman died by murder um, and a whole bunch of like bullshit happens of comedy sequences. Eventually they get back to the um, Grand Budapest Hotel as like war is breaking out and the army has moved in. Uh, but the the uh, letter is revealed and it is shown that in the event of her death by murder, it all went to Gustav and Adrian Brody is whipped off to prison, presumably. And uh, in- included in that is the deed to the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, Gustav does not live very long, unfortunately, uh, getting shot by the fascists when they're on the train later. And the uh, estate passes to Zira Mustafa, who grows old and tells the story to Jude Law and then writes a book and then someone else reads a book and comes through in the 80s to read this book and pay tribute in this uh like um place with a statue uh and she's reading the book in the in the in the 80s and that's how the movie ends there's like three layers but only two of them really have anything happening um one of them is just a lady looking at a statue yeah that's it that's that's it that's that's the layer she looks at a statue she opens the book and then it goes back to the other layer and then at the end it goes all the way out but there's no plot there and she's just reading the book i guess yeah that's Um, me that's me watching this movie interacting with media is is just this girl looking at a statue like oh yeah i guess i guess yeah this is the thing thing i'm reading (laughs) Um, that's the main plot there's a subplot about um Zero getting married to Agatha, who's the other main character, who is uh, just his love interest, and they get married, and she helps out with all the hijinks, and then dies tragically in uh, this epilogue, leaving Zero alone to uh, tell the story to Jude Law in the 60s, aging 50 years and only 30. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Someday, uh, sometimes you just grow up to be F. Murray Abraham, and that just happens to people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're Jude Law, you turn into Tom Wilkinson. That one is, like, more believable to me, but, um, you know, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of what happens. It's, um... Uh, also, 2014 might be on the border of when you could consider Jude Law the young version of anybody, um, but that's definitely like a cultural moment that I think is past. <laughs> definitely. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you'd seen this movie before, right? I saw this movie in 2014, and I quite liked it. Okay. Um, I missed it because uh, I think uh, speak for everyone here when we none of us liked Moonrise Kingdom, and so when this came out, I was like, ah, you know, maybe it's fine. This was also 2014 was the maybe the most burnt out on movies I've ever been as a human being. So yep. you uh, watch the World's End, and then you were like, that's it, no more movies. That's not what happened. I didn't watch the World's End until way later. Uh, <laughs> no, the World's End. You, the World's End you watched in 2013. It was the last movie that I remember you writing about. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. I remember this is, it wasn't an arbitrary breaking point but it was how it went down yeah i was about to say like i was working on like uh, my memory is working on godzilla and uh hitchcock stuff when i stopped writing about movies but yes yes yes, yes. you were doing that as well mm-hmm. i thought um, moonrise um, kingdom was just okay uh i did not like it yeah i was not a fan i don't uh, remember it very well i guess i'd have to go back and revisit it but i definitely it did put me off 
seeing everything he's done after Moonrise Kingdom, which is weird because I was a huge fan. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> uh, this movie like came and went, and then Isle of Dogs was like, you know, it was looked a little racist, looked a lot racist. In fact, I was like, eh, I'm probably good, but I should probably watch it. It's probably still going to be racist, but what are you going to do? I'd be disappointed if a Wes Anderson movie wasn't racist. This one is, uh, <laughs> yeah, this one's racist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one's a bit racist. Ralph Fine gives a whole speech about immigrants coming and taking our jobs. But like, and it knows it's bad, but then the point it pivots into to actually make is the wrong point. It's very funny. Yes. Uh, If they're they're refugees, it's different. And you must treat them with respect for their suffering as uh, people of the developing world and not would-be aristocrats. Uh, so there's some layers to this movie, uh, many intentional, many not, and it leads to a really weird thing as a piece about like the importance of belief in service to an aristocracy that doesn't exist in a world that doesn't exist. Uh, but like Monsieur Gustave or M. Gustave is like, you know. <laughs> He's not rich until the end of the movie. He is a concierge. He works for rich people, but believes in the purpose of this work for an upper class that is trying to kill him. But the power of that belief makes it real. Maybe if we believe hard enough, we can we can make the dream of like the old ways, the old culture, a real thing, even if in this one hotel. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the romance, right? Like, he's a character who never... Who believes a thing that, frankly, never exists. Like, the movie's yes. like, ah, oh, it, was, it was gone long before him. But no, it was it was never real. That's the whole thing. The whole thing is is a story about stories, which, you know... But uh, it's good in this one. <laughs> that's me writing my, uh, you know, dissertation or something. Uh, because the, the the thing here is is not that Gustav H is like noble, uh, even though he, he purports to be, and it's not that he is like in the right, though he would definitely believe himself to be. It's that Ralph Fiennes fucking kills it as a man who is so charismatic, you can't help but be charmed by his utter bullshit, despite how much you know it's bullshit while it's being inflicted upon you. He's it's so true. charming. Oh, uh, he really is. It's wonderful. Uh, yes, the part where he's just like hyper competent, but also like a bumbler, but in ways that only make him more endearing. And uh, the ways in which characters like, like, you know, he's a womanizer who all of the men are threatened by because they, they find him like foppish, right? Like, that's yes. the thing. that That's mm-hmm. that's the appeal. Like, it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's, such <a> perfect, <laughs> it's such a great, because uh, like Ralph Fiennes has been pigeonholed in the Voldemort hole for like over a decade now. It's so nice to see him do anything else. I hate to get pigeonholed in the <laughs> it's good it, i just like that about him i i also like that literally uh he tries to do like a schindler's list and gets fucking murdered the first like the second time he tries it he's like i will protect these these immigrants from the uh, the effects of fascism shot dead goodbye <laughs> goodbye um <laughs> Um, 
it's good. I, he is, he's just a lot. Like, this movie would not work without him being, like, the steadying force through all of it. I was, for some reason, expecting way more of, like, an ensemble about a different stories at the hotel and not this one, especially with the framing device, and not just this one through line of this man and his, like, young charge going on ridiculous adventures. No, the ensemble is more there for cameos and just to do yeah. things. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and every, there's so many. Yeah, I feel like every uh, character in this movie is propelled 99% through the power of their casting. Mm -hmm. Um, It's true. Because no one gets that many lines, but they all have to show up and do their bit very, very well. Um, And I think it's like an incredibly cast movie. I think most of the cameos work really well. You know, the whole Harvey Keitel prison section is hilarious. Yes. Uh, Willem Dafoe's entire character is just standing around looking like Willem Dafoe, and it works. Uh, It does work. Uh, look, that he is so good in that, just a menacing like goblin of a man, just like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna accentuate the the like dark like circles around his eyes and he's just gonna glower at people and throw a cat out the window and it, it works. It's fucking great. <laughs> he does throw that cat out the window. Yeah. <laughs> uh it's wonderful. Um Adrian Brody, like, you know, this uh ridiculous like he ends up, a, he's not like a military guy, but just ends up by being evil, being like the Nazi, the fake Nazi leader in this movie. <laughs> like he just drives up in his fucking fancy car with an armband and everyone accepts that he must be in charge. It's so funny. <laughs> it's a bit early on where he, like his main introduction is just kind of less like yelling slurs at uh, Ralph Fiennes for being too fucking gay. <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, I think that stuff is mostly well handled. Yes. Yeah, all that stuff is um is a delight. Uh and it's weird cuz like I think the like the the like Wes Anderson players like the Bill Murray and Jason Schwartzman and stuff like showing up in this um as just glorified cameos really buoys the rest of it by like mm-hmm. not making them like Bill Murray's in this movie says about three lines he's in it for about 5 minutes and that's it so you need you don't need more than that more than that would spoil the soup. Get out. Yep. <laughs> um and I think that stuff really works. Um, Total Sweat in this is ridiculous. Did you see that they were originally going to get Angela Lansbury and she had a, like a scheduling conflict? Couldn't I do did. It. That's no! really funny. I didn't know that. That's so good. Uh, we we deserve this. <laughs> I mean, Tilda was great, but it would have been really wonderful to see Angela Lansbury. Yes. God, that would have been so fucking funny. Yes. <laughs> Was that um, an on set? Like, all right, uh, Ralph Fiennes, could you please make out with Angela Lansbury? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we see older women in a lot of compromising positions in the very beginning of this movie, and I would have loved to see Angela Lansbury in the <laughs> Dude, Angela Lansbury. Where's Anderson Dass? Um. Yeah, it's great. Harvey Keitel just hanging out shirtless, covered in ridiculous tattoos. Oh, it's so good. He's so good. <laughs> He's, He's very funny in this movie. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Whole... No. It's, it's. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say the whole prison escape might be my favorite. I don't know. It reminded me a lot of M. Mm-hmm. When they're hiding out in the bank. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think my favorite stuff is the stuff with uh, Willem Dafoe and him tracking down Jeff Goldblum in the in the museum. There's just like this like abstract space of lines of suits of armor um, as he's being like menaced by the approaching footfalls of uh, Willem Dafoe's character. And then he takes off his shoes. And the next thing you see him, he just like comes out of the gloom to grab his hand and murder him. It's incredible. It's so good. Yeah, that whole bit's amazing. <laughs> And then the like stop motion snow chase that they have with him while they, they go down this the winter sports like s- slaloms and ski jump and whatever. <laughs> the bit where um uh the Willem Dafoe is about to kill uh, Raffines and is like and he starts quoting like his poetry as he often does. <laughs> uh, Zero just like yeets him off the cliff <laughs> and he's like, oh, holy God, shit, you got him! <laughs> so good. <laughs> One of the funniest punchlines in the whole movie. It really <laughs> is. Like, yeah. Uh, the, the thing that I really like about this movie is I feel like it shows that um, uh, Wes Anderson is not very smart. And not only is he not very smart, um, but he is uh, not interested in being smart. Uh, which is a thing that I think is like, because his um, aesthetic interests are about these like um, very... Uh, what am I saying? Just, they're, they are signifiers of you know Western class, right? He loves Europe. He loves fancy things. He loves the aristocracy. He loves like uh, looking back at childhood through wondrous eyes. It, it is the things that like high culture he likes. Onto. He likes he likes aesthetic text treatments as chapter yes. titles. But I think that watching this movie, I was like, oh no, this is just like he likes when a guy falls off a thing. He likes when the people say their name is Flingen Flingen Flingenberger. He likes when <laughs> like everyone punches each other. It is like really good about just the more like elemental low side of it and then it doesn't feel like a pretentious movie is i guess what i'm saying in a way that i feel yes. like with anderson the very you know his whole reputation is a pretentious person i understand where that comes from look at him uh, <laughs> but i think that there like this movie shows that like i bet there's a way to engage you know there's a way to engage with the work on a far more you know uh honest level because i think talking about this, oh this is like a really uh you know, layered breakdown of the relationship between his work and the uh, the changing times in the culture. And I'm like, I mean, it's also a movie where he throws a guy off a cliff and goes, "Ha ha!" <laughs> yeah, this is way this is way closer to like like a Marx Brothers version of a class comedy than yes. like uh, than like you know uh, Rules of the Game or something version of a class comedy. <laughs> exactly, definitely for sure. Which is like the, the you know that's the point. Like there's like a whole sequence where they're they're trying to meet with uh, with uh, Serge and they go up a mountain and it's just like this long montage of like this this like jangly music playing as they they go up like a ski lift. They in the middle it stops and another ski lift comes up the opposite direction and they climb over and they go up to like a monastery all the way at the top. They're dressed as monks. They walk in and then the music changes to the chanting of the monks chanting the song that's been playing for eight minutes already. And then when that like they leave, then the chanting goes away. And and then it's like the the race version of this song. It's just a ludicrous like slapstick thing, but like subdued because Wes Anderson doesn't do action. Yes, uh, that stuff's great. Like it's just a it's just a you know a good time. It's just funny and fun. Yeah, uh, this is a real um, just like crowd pleaser movie. And then you go back to the the first level of the video game, but now the bad guys have taken it over. It's a corrupted version of the first level of the video game. <laughs> yeah, it's Gravity Rush. Let's go. 
um, as you go back to the hotel and is now, uh, you know, the fake Nazi, uh, like, barracks that they've taken over the entire space. Um, there is nothing more like JRPG than the fake Nazis having a big, like, we're saying, a sign saying ZZ instead of SS. Yes. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's so funny. Um... And then they have a bunch of hijinks around that. And then it's weird because, like, at some point, he then remodels the entire motel or, like, hotel into, like, the, like, fake Soviet version of the hotel. <laughs> yeah. Because we see the 60s version and it's, it's like, you know, like, pseudo-brutalist architecture. That is not what it looks like in the 30s. It's run down, but it's, like, been remodeled and then run down. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Everything's much oranger. Yeah, there's now signage everywhere. But I, I, it's another. It's a moment where Wes can't help himself because he loves sixty shit. So he has to have yes. the sixty shit look like okay, it's run down, but it still has to be recognizably different period design. I also like the sixty shit, so I appreciate it's, it. It's pretty good. Unlike other fans of the sixties, I didn't watch Mad Men, so I need this where I can get it. It's <laughs> <laughs> such a different vibe to the Mad Men stuff. Oh, I know. But I was like, I was like, man, all these signs. Oh, right. I don't care about the one big, like, 60s piece of media of that people care about in the modern era. Because mm-hmm. um, I was like, man, why don't people make stuff in the 60s? And I was like, all right, a whole thing came and defined what that was and then left. And now no one cares again. Yes. No, it was really all encompassing, culturally speaking. <laughs> yep. Remember that wave of television shows like the airline one or whatever that were all trying to be the the new Mad Men? God, the airline one! Yes! <laughs> I'd almost forgot. Did a single one of those take off? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, the thing I like about this uh, this movie being this way, though, is that it kind of, like, bumbles across a problem. Like, I, have, I, I had a podcast. It's now done, because we finished it, called And Then an Airplane, which was about watching Studio Ghibli movies. And we had a, a rocky time, especially with the films of Hayao Miyazaki, who I know most people like. I have a lot of problems with. You can listen to this podcast. But specifically, he loves to, like, embrace a sort of, like idea of adventuring heroes who have are well-intentioned and charming making their way through a world that has changed and moved on to something fascist and evil but not in any way that's like super threatening other than to the narrative but like aesthetically pleasing also and this movie is just a miyazaki movie but about a middle-aged man like it's just the cat returns but the cat is what is ray finds <laughs> he, like huh. in in the wind rises it's like 20 minute sequence of um uh his wife dying of anime disease this happens in this in a line yes but it's specifically it's specifically this idea of like these plucky men who have uh like a grace and resources coming from knowing other people and just the goodness exuded by like the 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 crossed keys like whatever the brotherhood of, i don't remember what it's called what is it called the society of cross keys society of yeah. cross keys yes of the 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 concierges who work across the world all have like a secret group that will do favors and pull strings for each other and that's great like yeah i also like john wick um uh, but uh that the way it's called in is like this like illusion to the world gone by in the face of fake world war happening that just feels like it's aestheticizing both sides even though it's like there's not sympathetic fascists in this movie necessarily you could argue about edward norton i guess but he sucks uh in this film um but 
it still is embracing that as like a cool thing to like live in and sit with in a way that's like the man just head empty about it yeah i mean the end order stuff is like i think mostly good but um doesn't go far enough or is not interested in going far enough but i do think it's like the part where the movie gets the closest to like saying something about this in a real way in the the reason right that um they are able to not get murdered in the start of the movie is because uh, uh gustav has had like you know contact with um Anon's family is like known to them as a family friend. And yes, he 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 was very kind to him when Edward Norton was a child at the hotel with his rich family, and now he's the fucking snot nosed con- commander of all these fascists. Because the actual thing that this movie does is not about is the part where the fascists didn't come from nowhere. The like the decrepit aristocrat like aristocracy put on the uniforms. Right. There's there's no. That's the thing is that he the movie is very earnest about the fact that Ralph finds in this movie is this genuine a genuine beacon of something like it, it was it was never there but he did make it real in his own way, uh, but he, like he's serving these people, and not only is he serving these people he's only not murdered by them because he has served them on an individual level his only currency is this individual uh, nicety that he has with the people who know him second he's faceless to them he is murdered because they're fascists because that's what happens. Yeah. Uh, and that is in the movie. So like, that has to be intentional on some level because it is how it goes. Um, but it doesn't like dig into that in the way you would really want. Yeah. Uh, which is like, you know, I'm not asking for that, but right, it is yes. funny to watch it walk up to this line that like many movies have walked out this line and fallen over in this exact way. Uh, Wes Anderson is not immune. He just doesn't care or notice, I think. <laughs> I mean, he, he's also not sitting here being like Grand Budapest Hotel is a metaphor for the Iraq War. <laughs> Right. So right. I'm willing to excuse him in the way I will not, uh, you know, Hayao Miyazaki. I mean, Hayao Miyazaki literally comes up to the microphone and goes, if you think about it, uh, the World War II Imperial bomber planes are like my movies. And the reasons they're bad are only the reasons my movies are bad because of corporations, not fascism. <laughs> fascism is a metaphor for me. Fuck you. <laughs> That's what Miyazaki says. It's worth it to make planes that drop bombs made with slave labor and anime that eats lives and is part of a Disney marketing machine as long as it fulfills someone's childhood dream. (laughs) We can't just pivot it to Wind Rises top. Jesus Christ. I could. That was the thing. Drop a hat, yeah. And luckily this movie doesn't really do that because it is far more concerned with uh, being very funny and just doing some bullshit. Yeah, Um, yeah. it's just a comedy. Oh, here's one. M didn't notice this. M didn't believe me when I said this, and I had to look it up and make sure I wasn't making this it up. This isn't true. I looked it up, and it seems like it might not be true. I think is it not this true? Is a rumor. It's not true. Is right. this not true? Okay. Okay. This might not be him. It's is not this, him. Is this just another random guy? Yes. Okay. So I, I, was, I was wrong. Yes. Okay. I'll have to... Okay, well... <laughs> well what about... They're in the bit where all the guys are leaning out of the rooms with their guns. Uh-huh. There's one guy who I in 2014 thought was George Clooney. It's not George Clooney. I'm, oh. I guarantee you, it is not George Clooney. I didn't I, see him. Yeah, this, this isn't is, George Clooney. It's you not sent me this picture last time. I'm like, this doesn't look like George Clooney. But I guess I wasn't watching George Clooney movies in 2014. But I've since looked it up, and there's like there's like a rumor it's him, but that's not him. That's fucking I, not him. I know it, it doesn't it doesn't look like him when you like you know look at it in the screenshot. But I only saw it in the cinema like once. 
Yes. So I was like, holy shit, what's George Clooney doing? Because he does he does look a bit like George Clooney. He doesn't come from nothing. You want to send nothing. Destiny the picture? Yeah, okay. So she can be like, that's not George Clooney. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, having a look. That's not that's George Clooney that's at Jean all. That's Jean Dujardin. Okay, well, I thought it was George Clooney at the time. Because I saw him for two seconds. No, this guy doesn't have... He's handsome, but he's not as, as handsome as Mr. Clooney. Oh, even that might be a rumor, actually, looking at this. Yeah, he's not, I don't he's think not it's president. A, I think it's just some dude. I think it's just a dude. It's just, just a random guy? Just a random guy. Well, there we go. Yeah, um, no one knows who that dude is, but people argue that like there's definitely rumor that it's meant to be George Clooney or that it's George Clooney. That's clearly not true. Look at that man's face. Then there's people who say that it's uh, Jean Dujardin, who's the guy from OSS One One Seven or whatever. Um, but it's not him. It doesn't look like him either. It's like close. If you merge the two together in a horrible fusion dance of handsome men in Hollywood or movies, you might make this man. But it's not this man. Who the fuck is this guy? Who is this man? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. We have that's we have George Clooney at home. <laughs> it does definitely we have George Clooney at home. <laughs> well, the the entire chaos, pivoting back to a real discussion and not just arguing what's bad. Uh, the entire like ridiculous chaos of the final sequence is really funny. Yes, because um, it basically turns into the Blues Brothers. It does turn into the Blues Brothers. I was thinking that I'm like, man, he just made like a ridiculous chase and like a big shootout that doesn't matter. It's like between two factions who both suck, including characters you know aren't going to be imperiled and like stuff that doesn't matter. It's a delight. I love it. Had a great time. <laughs> yep. Blues Brothers, that's a masterpiece. It uh, truly is. It's a good movie. We should watch that for this. I mean, I we've got nothing to say, say about it. Uh, other than I, damn blues brothers the blues I, brothers i would have stuff about race to say i think i think okay J- just think? off the tip of my head yes but well i'll put it on the docket we might come around to it we're on a mission but, from uh, god we're on a mission from god <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite like little wes anderson aesthetic thing do you have a favorite thing that he does Oh, I actually just want to complain a bit about Wes Anderson. This movie would be better if it had more than two camera shots. There's one bit, there's one shot following Willem Dafoe where it's suddenly handheld. And it's like, oh shit, they've done something different for a second. I like. I think Wes Anderson's aesthetic is like totally. I don't like. You know, he he's he's got it. He he embraces it. He likes it. That's fine. I'm not here to say that he needs to like break it entirely. But I think that his like square on framing and the way he like depicts spaces would work better if sometimes the camera did anything else. It like becomes numbing at some point to watch a movie that is always this. It, and especially with like the way they switch between time periods, because not only is it different aspect ratios, it's different lenses, it's different lighting yes. setups. The like the lighting of the sixties is so different, and it's such a beautiful, warm sixties lighting. But the shots are the same, <laughs> the, the, the yeah. angles are the same, the framing is the same, but every, all the like other things are different. It's the only thing you can't change. It's very strange. Yeah. The 60s one is, like, this beautiful, like, wide anamorphic lens that, like, looks incredible. Everything's lit with, like, really, like, fluorescent lighting, and it's much starker. And, like, that's the one that I'm like, man, this looks incredible. That's the one that I'm like, I want a whole movie just looking at this. Yes. 
The bit where they're where uh, Zero and uh, what's his face uh, Jude Law are just hanging out in the bathtubs and looking around. And he's like, "This is great." And he's like, "Nah, it, it looks like shit compared to how it used to, but like it does have its charm." I'll admit, incredible, love it. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> yes. Uh, but the main part of the film being shot in like you know Academy ratio and stuff. That stuff's good. I love when someone messes with an aspect ratio. I'm a fan. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's like a nice looking movie. I just wish it did a little more, um, to like distinguish itself. Cause yeah, it just gets a little, it just gets a little too samey. Like there's the bit where the, uh, funiculars are going up and down, like the way that shot, I'm like, you're just shooting these for the trailer and it works and I like it, but like there's 800 of these shots. It's not special now. Uh, there's one shot where it turns into the video game Prince of Persia. Well, which one is this? Um, where uh zero's on the roof talking to um agatha and he runs out of frame left and he's on the back as a shadow and he jumps over a little gap and it's the most like this is a rotoscope video game jumping animation i've seen in my life (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah uh, you know it's it's fine i don't like hate it but uh, I wish there was just a little more difference because sometimes there's like, yeah, there, there are those like handheld shots. Um, there's a great shot uh, that is like very Wes Anderson of the uh, lamp descending in the prison that like goes through the floor. Eat that shit up. I love that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anytime you're panning from one area to another and you go through a floor or a wall with the camera, I'm happy. Especially if I can see what's like in the floor or the wall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's really like you know he's he's got a complete uh, mastery of his style, right? Like everything he mm-hmm. does is very intentional. He knows exactly the kind of shots he likes, and will construct a movie out of them in like a very oh, elegant way. I know the shot that I like. Uh, there's a, actually two, in the prison escape. Uh, there's a bit where it's like empty hall, and it pans to the right to the dumbwaiter coming down, and then Gustav gets out, and then it pans back to like the empty door, and all of the prison guys who are escaping with him are standing there. It's like just such a, like a small like the camera moves like three feet to reveal that they've been waiting like everything's timed perfectly, and then the montage of ridiculous like it's the shadows cast over the wall of them jumping over all the sleeping guards and then like panning to them like hopping from like nightstand to nightstand because the bunks are all stacked next to each other it's very good yeah oh, but my favorite but yeah like he's like clearly you know at this point in his career very uh confident and exact about the shots he's doing and what he's looking like but i like rushmore's a better looking movie than this yes um and uh, i miss some of the roughness from there yeah um is there anything else? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, we have questions. If you'd like to send in questions, you can send them to abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. They can be about the movie we're covering any given week or any movie. I like general movie questions. We don't get enough of them. I mean, we look, th- there's never enough. I recognize this, but we only got like a couple this week. Uh, so, you know, please step up your email game. I say having a reminder on my phone to email another podcast as soon as I'm done with this. Oh, so, right. You know, we both I need understand. to do that. <laughs> yes. Um, anyway. Uh, Alex writes in every time I watch a Wes Anderson movie, I can remember that he's really good with the camera. I remember a little, uh, when this came out and everyone thought it was very twee and it is twee, but like enjoyable about it <laughs> uh, because it's that thin veneer of twee on top of world war two movie having the background. Ralph Fiennes is great. Just a huge asshole, but very charismatic about it. Uh, questions. If you were called to perform a favor, what improbable task would you be performing and who would you get to take over? 
<laughs> I don't know if I can answer the second part of that. Oh, what would I? But be what doing? is the what is the like magical plot convenient thing you could do for someone? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, the the answer is my lobby boy would be taking over because that's that's it's always the lobby boy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, ooh, what would I be doing? I don't know. I don't have any skills. Editing the podcast. That- I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Take over. <laughs> I I would be I would be giving a speech for someone. I think that's mine. Yeah, that's pretty good. I feel like you I need, would just you be need a, you need a eulogy, a congratulations, wedding vows. I'll I'm not going to write it for you. I can't do that, but I'll go up and orate it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Destiny, you were saying something. Oh no, I'd say I'd probably be teaching a class. Okay. Um, have you ever ridden in a funicular? No. I've barely written in like a subway. Like this is the America. Everyone's in cars or walking. That's it. Those are the only two modes of conveyance. Yeah, I've never been in one. I, I'm afraid of heights, so they make me anxious. But there's a really good episode of Columbo that takes place in one, and I was like, maybe someday I'll get in one. Um, I've been in one, um, like in in like a British seaside town, but not not in <laughs> not one of the cable ones, like on the one just you know on on a the ones that are actually I've been on in the... a funicular on the British seaside. Oh fuck off. Young. <laughs> oh, back in Bournemouth, where we used to play, and I would run down the arcade. Uh, <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tron writes in, "Who's your favorite character in this movie?" Uh, Gustav, like with a bullet. Yeah. Gustav. Oh, yeah, okay. As- aside from Gustav, because he is like the best. The movie is him. Someone else, pick someone else. I like Sad F. Murray Abraham. He's really good. <laughs> um, I just really like Saoirse Ronan. I think she's like, she always steals whatever scene she's in in a movie. She's never not su- like been a delight. Not even surprised me because I just expect her to be good and stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I think she's great in this. Because she's given like the most thankless role in the world. Just a like a nice girl with a birthmark who is meant to be like, like nice, like good and like appealing, but in a very non-threatening way. <laughs> Uh yeah, it's because of her purity. Yeah. Um, uh, I like Sir Jax. I like to see Matthew Elmerich and anything. Elmerich and anything. Um, he's a, he's gonna be in uh, West Anderson's next movie we discovered yeah, last night. Much more delight. Cause that'd be a great time. Rescue this man from eight hundred French movies and that Bond movie where he was a villain that sucked, but not for because of him, just because Quantum of Souls is a bad movie. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, we were both looking around. We're like, oh, he, we we never see him anything. What does he do? Apparently, like six French movies a year. That's what he does. <laughs> yeah. well, you, you said, "Can you rescue this man from obscurity?" And I said, "It's not obscurity. It's France." <laughs> <laughs> um, same thing, really. Um, do, do, do. um, what is your favorite special effects shot in this movie? I like all the stop motion stuff. Phantasm of Box is probably my favorite Wes Anderson film, so I have a soft spot for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a, a barely an effect shot, but I think it's an effect shot. I think there's like a little camera trick going on there. Uh, but the specific way they like shoot the bit where they all punch each other in the will reading, like it's it's like <laughs> flat on, and they just get like punched where the, the, everyone's hands moves forwards in a very unnatural way. Yes, uh, it's like a you know exaggerated version of uh, um, 
I don't know, Lauren Hardy stage punching, right? Like it's it's just yes. silent movie bits it's doing. I love that bit. Hmm. Do you have an answer, Destiny? I just I like the stop motion. I'm uh trying to think of a specific thing, but I just the skiing and it just looked really good. Mm-hmm. Uh and then uh Charles' final question, what's your favorite oil painting? Um, because we we didn't talk about the oil painting in this movie, which is honestly dreadful. Uh (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's just like this, like pretty boy with an apple. Yes. Um, that Ralph finds purports to look like, even though he does not in any way. Um, (laughs) Yes, it's very funny. They got a guy to like paint this for the movie, like just in like an amalgam of styles. and they're like, we got like a dancer to pose for it, and we just dressed him in a bunch of costumes. We found one that worked, and we, he, he was like, he says it was a miserable experience. <laughs> Amazing. My favorite oil painting is uh, "The Garden of Earthly Delights" by Hieronymus Bosch. That's a good one. Thank you. Uh, I don't know what an oil painting. Like, I know what an oil painting is, but I don't know what separates <laughs> oil painting from other kinds. Like. It, it, I, when I was a teen, I liked all the like Larry paintings that we saw, uh, but I don't know if that's oil painting or not because he's doing slightly different things. But I don't know. Okay, mine is mixed media. It just happens to include oil paint, so I feel like I'm cheating, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Uh, it's Rothko's Black on Maroon, which is, um, I think it's like acrylic also, and I think there might actually be, uh, yeah, it's like glue tempera and. Um, my mum likes Rothko more than anyone ever has liked Rothko. I'm, I'm posting it. There you go. I like this one a lot. We have a Rothko in Omaha, but it's not this one. So, you mm-hmm. know, this one's in London. Got to go to the Tate if I want to see this one. I've probably seen this one. <laughs> um, the one we have is, like, totally fine. I have nothing against it. It's just not this one. Yep. I like this one because it looks like a window at night. <laughs> I guess it does. Yeah, yeah, it does. I, I like Rothkos. I like, uh, you know modern art i guess you unsurprisingly big fan mm-hmm. <laughs> uh anyway we have one last email from adam uh if you could have any of wes anderson's diorama style settings as uh oh we have two emails sorry as an actual diorama to display in your home what would it be the tonnenbaum house oh it's got to be the one. the um the big boat from life aquatic Damn it! <laughs> that would have been mine. The I mean, Life the, Aquatic, yeah. The Life Aquatic uh, miniatures are fucking incredible. Because that's real. Like the, the Tenenbaum's house has a bit of that, but it's also like that's a real house in points. Yes. Whereas the when he goes into the like the the boat stuff and the way it shoots that that's amazing. The miniatures there are really yes. good. I was talking to Jackson last night about um, Life Aquatic was the first Wes Anderson I ever saw. Um, I didn't know who Wes Anderson was. Didn't know shit about it. Uh, I really liked, and I still do, and I understand it's got its problems, uh, Lost in Translation. And so there was a new movie with Bill Murray that looked like charming, like an indie movie. This was back before I had like perception of taste or context. And I was like, I'm going to see the new indie Bill Murray movie. Um, and was like very i was kind of put off by it but it, I, I have great fondness for the experience of being put off by this movie because uh i like it a lot now but um mm-hmm. you know that era i just go see things bill murray is in broken flowers also was my first jarmish movie for the same reason i was like oh it's another sad bill murray movie <laughs> i believe it was mine as well 
Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's my answer. And then our actual final email is from Eric. Uh, Grandpa Duosa tells one of the movies that really got me into mo- into film, uh, randomly picked it up in theaters, uh, as someone who was just watching blockbusters, it really blew my mind. Uh, I tried, did try to recreate this high by watching other Wes Anderson films, but even if I like some of them, none of his movies see quite done it in the same way for me. Is there a director whose first film you saw completely blew you away, but then nothing else really did it for you? I have, a, I have a genuine actual answer here. Um, is it Chris Nolan? It is Chris Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because Mem- Memento one. is a movie that like got me into movies, um, and I have varying feelings about his other films. I mostly dislike. I really like Interstellar. I'm one of the only people on earth who just likes Interstellar. I think it's very funny. Um, <laughs> but um, oh goodness, my phone, my watch went off. It thought I was talking to Siri. That's rude. Um, I need to know. Uh, no, do not disturb that while we're recording. Anyway, um, God, what was I saying? Uh, I like Interstellar. I like Dunkirk asterisk for the part where they use prison labor and that sucks. Uh, I didn't see Tenet. You saw Tenet. Tenet seemed bad. Tenet's a bad fucking movie. But I, I don't like, I didn't like the Batmans. I don't give a shit about the prestige. It was fine, but like, whatever. I, I really didn't like, uh, Inception. I thought Inception was dreadful. Um, yeah, it's Nolan. Um, this barely counts. Um, okay. Because he's directed three movies. Okay. Um, but one of them was The Bourne Legacy, and that's a terrible movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, I saw I saw this one in cinema. I saw Duplicity in cinemas, which I remember not liking. Maybe that one's actually good. I don't know. But then fucking Michael Clayton, one of the best movies of all time. I guess I didn't see it first, but it is. Uh, it is a, that that's a great movie. God, I think I've seen Duplicity. I saw it in the cinema, so maybe it was to- it would totally be fine, but I didn't like it in two thousand and nine. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not here to talk shit. Um, I don't remember. I'm like, I saw this movie. I don't remember a fucking thing about it. <laughs> in terms of what I like saw, for, I guess Wes Anderson's probably my closest, but not as Michael extreme. Clayton. However, is <laughs> maybe the single most abnormal mapping core film that exists. <laughs> so good. It's so fucking good. Oh I might my have god! To sit Destiny down and watch Michael Clayton. I have the Blu-ray over here. Yeah, I'm I like seen I'm like, it. like I love the way that I'm like annoyed by that one. It took me like a decade to watch it. <laughs> I don't even think Destiny's gonna like Michael Clayton. It's just very you and me. <laughs> it's so you and me. It's the most you and me movie. Destiny and like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and the Michael Clayton's not dissimilar. You? Yeah, I know. I just was a little slow for me. That's all. I'll, it I'll revisit. Upon itself. <laughs> Well, I, I'm hopefully going to rewatch that in the next couple of years when I read it, um, and maybe I'll be like, oh, the book was way better, as <laughs> I can see myself. Because that's what I think about it, Spy came in from the cold. Uh, the book's way better. Mm-hmm. Okay. For my answer, uh, we were just talking about him, and then I was like, was that the first film I saw by Jim Jarmusch? And I realized, no, the first Jim Jarmusch movie I saw was Stranger Than Paradise. I fucking loved it. And then everything else I've watched, and it's not everything of his, but I just can't get into them. Like, I really, really liked, um, which one was it? Coffee and cigarette? No, 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 no. Uh, Only Lovers Left Alive. I really liked that one. But everything else, I'm just like, it's just a bit too slow. Just didn't, hasn't grabbed me. But I, I, ha- I haven't um, given up on him. I, 
I am like about 50-50 on Jarmusch movies I like versus ones I don't, but I couldn't tell you what determines that because the reasons I like some and the reasons I dislike others are literally the same reasons. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there are movies of his that I absolutely love. Once one, once we watch our next film, uh, teaser for what I'm about to announce, uh, I guess, uh, we can finally watch Ghost Dog because we've been slowly building to being able to watch Ghost Dog because you'll see the things that inspired Ghost Dog. <laughs> We're not doing Ghost Dog, but um, uh, I really liked, uh, God, what's it called? Um, Limits of Control. Limits of Control is fucking good. I I like Only Lovers Left Alive. Only Lovers Left Alive is like one of his more watchable films. It's like for normal people. It's true. <laughs> oh, his, his last movie was, a, oh, he did two. One of them was up for Amazon and then The Dead Don't Die. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I guess I need to catch up. Um. But I think, like, you know, some of his early stuff, as long as you can get over the part where nothing happens and it's slow, uh, I think I think it's good. I don't know. I don't like Dead Man. I know Dead Man's one that people really like, but um, Johnny Depp had already it. happened at that point, so I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't fuck with that. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I couldn't finish it. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying no? to think of a, a good, I guess, like, um... Uh, Wes Anderson's probably a good answer for me. Not sort of the same extreme because I like most of his movies, um, but I definitely like watched Rushmore when I was seventeen. I was like, this has changed my life. <laughs> I feel so about Sofia Coppola, but I haven't seen Marie Antoinette, and if she's got a more recent one, I haven't seen that either. But um, I really like Lost in Translation, and uh, did not enjoy basically anything else of hers I've seen. Oh, I like mm-hmm. almost everything I've seen, uh, even though they're riddled with problems. I really thought The Virgin Suicides was. <laughs> really good Virgin suicides is just okay i i, yeah, I don't hate it um fucking hated the bling ring god what a bad movie oh that's yeah, a terrible that movie jesus god, christ awful. oh yes <laughs> i know that it, you know people don't remember it because it's 2013 and no one cares about the bling ring but if you were there at the time god damn terrible what a disappointment yeah you're not even like oh what an offensively awful it's just boring yeah just boring it's the worst thing a movie can be just waste of my time Wasted i liked my her sad time. dad movie yeah it was okay i just i Whatever really like lost called. translation at a certain point somewhere is what it's called i really like lost translation especially at the time that i saw it and partially this is i'm not 19 anymore and i don't feel things the way i did when i was 19 but mm-hmm. um you know um it's fine i have the yeah, exact I... same thing with that movie <laughs> I saw it too late. I, you know, because I'm a bit younger, so I, I didn't see Lost in Translation at the time. I thought it was okay. Yeah. You could sit down and watch it right now. Me too, but I have much more disquiet about a lot of it now, um, and yeah. not just the part where it's like turbo racist the entire yeah. way through. Yeah. <laughs> this is back when we were like, "Oh, Scarlett Johansson is going to be one of the next great actresses." Man, that ship sailed. Yeah, no, I was just thinking that, like, she's, my dream in life was for her to get red hair and be beautiful, and I can't even enjoy <laughs> cursed, it. I, curse, curse, curse. I can't even enjoy it. She's so fucking terrible now. That's so Black funny. Widow on Disney Plus now. You could get her with red hair for an entire movie. You don't want it, but you could get it. Um, that's it for questions again abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com next time we are watching Le Samurai the Melville movie which you can I think get on Criterion but you know get your movies where you get them I'm not your dad (laughs) (laughs) so true
<laughs> Plugs, Destiny. At Fridge Buzz now in most social media places. And my podcast, Badland Girls, is on Abnormal Mapping slash Badland Girls. Jackson. You can find me at Headfuls Off at Twitter.com. You can find the podcast that me and them do at AbnormalMapping.com. They're good. Go listen to them, please. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at EM underscore being. If you like to listen to me talk about Batman, you can go to exportodd.io slash Batman, where every Monday we talk about fucking Batman. Uh, Autumn floated the idea of watching Batman Returns recently, so I guess we're doing that in the next couple weeks. So that'll be exciting because um, I want to rewatch Batman Returns. What a weird movie. Um, if you'd like to support this podcast and all the podcasts we make, you can do that at patreon.com slash neural mapping. Uh, for $1, you get Gundam. We're watching Turn A and Big O, uh, both incredible anime. Uh, for $5, you get Blockbusters. We just put out our episode on True Lies, which was, I think, a very good episode. And this next week, we're recording our next episode on Tron Legacy, which I think will probably be a pretty good episode. Uh, and for $10, you get VoIP Life, where we just goof off and talk about dumb bullshit every two weeks and i think it's good so yep. uh you know still not still not a job so everyone who could support us uh it's a big help <laughs> please please help <laughs> yeah please help uh thank you everyone for listening i hope you had a good time until next time movies now more than ever don't expect to like them i do though that's the problem i do like movies that's my secret captain i'm always liking movies <laughs> <laughs>